Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So what in the world do you do when you send missionaries overseas? Are you done? Do you delegate responsibility for their care and training to somebody else? Today on The Scent Life, we're going to have a guest in the studio and talk about a fantastic ministry that's designed specifically for caring for missionaries while they serve overseas. Welcome to The Scent Life. Hey, the stories of The Scent Ones. We welcome Dr. Anna Dobbin to our Scent Life studio as she just each week talks to us about some figure from missions history or some contemporary uh, individual so that we can see how God has used people uh, through the years as they've surrendered their lives uh, to God's call and been captivated by his mission. Anna, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Super excited to have you. So every every week you, you introduce us to a new figure, a new individual. Uh, sometimes people we've heard of, sometimes we haven't. But uh, who are we going to hear about this week? Today we're going to hear about Charlotte Atlee White Rao. Okay. Lots of names. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, have you heard of Charlotte? I have not. White. I think that's kind of where most people most people land up oh, Charlotte White, but okay. she's got multiple names. Okay. Um, so, Charlotte White was most likely our first not married uh, missionary sent out from the United States that had been married before. So there's the distinction between like a, De- a Betsy Stockton that okay. we talk about in another episode and Charlotte White. Okay. She was married. She was widowed. Okay. And then they send her out. Okay. Um, but to give you kind of the the time frame and the setting that sure. we're talking about, um, Charlotte's dad was a distinguished Revolutionary Era judge. Okay. And so you're thinking like right after the Revolutionary War okay. is Charlotte's okay. uh, is is when Charlotte's life is happening. Sure. Uh, so Charlotte was born in 1782 okay. and just has this really tragic backstory, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Um, her her mom dies. Um, I, I don't know what her mom dies of. Three years later, her dad dies in an epidemic. Oh, my. And so she's suddenly an orphan. Uh, we don't know much about her child, the rest of her childhood and into her adult life. But then in 1803, she marries. Uh, she then loses her husband tragically, mm. and uh, five months later, her son. Oh, my. So she um, just has this tragic life. Uh, but she becomes a believer mm-hmm. um, in, in a revival at the time. And um, in 1815, she writes to the, to the Baptist board and says, Since the date of my conversion, I humbly hope my desire has been to do good, glorify my Redeemer, and especially since missionary endeavors have come within my knowledge, I have felt myself deeply interested in them, and their success has been the constant subject of my prayers. Wow. So this is a woman uh, in 1815 who's writing to a Baptist board, and to, to give you kind of um, some context here, uh, she's basically appointed to this Baptist board basically like a year after Adoniram Judson. So Adoniram okay. Judson sent earlier than that, but remember he has the conversion story, and then right. they have to like gather the Baptists right. and, uh, and, and form this um, Baptist Board of Foreign Missions, and then she ap- applies uh, to, to go after Adoniram Judson okay. and um, is sent in 1815. So before that, mm-hmm. she serves as the vice directress of the Samson Street Society, uh, which was a women's society okay. uh, that wanted that that that, that supported missions okay. and uh, applied through it for missionary appointments. So she actually uses her role there mm-hmm. to to apply for this missionary appointment. 
Um, and she kind of knew, I think, that there were uh, possible issues that would come up. And significant so she, obstacles. So significant obstacles. So um, one, one of which is, I don't know that people knew what to do with a woman who was wanting to go overseas mm. at this time. Um, Ann Judson had gone mm-hmm. before her, right. but Ann Judson was married to Adoniram. Right. And if you look at history, most likely Ann was never appointed as a missionary. Okay. So she goes as the helper to her mm-hmm. husband who's been appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so suddenly they have this single woman who's asking to go, mm-hmm. and they're having to wrestle with, what do we do here? Do yeah. we appoint her? Do wow. we not appoint her? Do we send her? Do we not send her? What do we do? And so I think she knew some of these obstacles, and so she actually offers to travel with a missionary couple and live with them okay. um, and, and, and help take care of their children. But she also makes it very clear that she wants to go and do mission work. So she's not just going to be She's the, not just their domestic help. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she actually writes to them and says she wants to, and this is a quote, to apply talents I possess wholly to the service of the mission. Okay. And so she's very uh, bold in this. And um, she becomes, as, as Trollson claims, the, the first American woman to receive official appointment by any sending body wow. uh, to serve as an international cross-cultural missionary. Wow. And uh, she was sent and decided to be a missionary educator. It appears that one of the, one of the issues she had was funding. Hmm. Um, and so to take care of that, it looks like she probably actually paid her own way. She actually gave a donation so that she could have her own salary paid for. Wow. Um, so this was basically the um, the way that she dealt with anybody uh, contesting the use of funds to send a woman. Okay. Um, and then she actually finds a merchant who uh, apparently provided for her passage, so hmm. she didn't have to pay, or the, the agency didn't have to pay for her to go. Um, now, her story is uh, takes on a, a kind of a different turn when she arrives in India. So she's supposed to go... Um, she's actually going to 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 go to Burma mm-hmm. is the expectation. To work with the Judsons. Where the Judsons were, uh, but she actually gets to India. There's some issues with getting the transport because they're taking a printing press to, mm. to Burma. There's some issues with getting it cleared cleared and being able to go forward, and so they stay in India for a while um, with with the missionaries who are working in Serampore. Okay, the Carries. Yeah, this is the Carries. This is um, the other the other missionaries who have joined him at that time. Mm-hmm. And one of these is a man named Joshua Rao. Okay. And uh, they meet and have what appears to be an actual kind of whirlwind romance. What? And <laughs> get married about four months later. Wow. No wonder um, she's got so many last names. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so she, uh, it's a fascinating story because I don't know that we as, as 21st century Christians understand what this would feel like. Sure. But she writes to her missionary board mm-hmm. to tell them that she's, you know, thinking about getting married and they don't get it until after she's already married. No email. So yeah. So no it's like months messaging. later and she's already <laughs> married. And so then there's this problem of like, what do we do? Wow. She married, she's an American Baptist who married a British Baptist. Who actually is going to support her? What's this going to look like? Right. And uh, it's fascinating. One of the quotes um, that I love that's from this time is that there's a guy named Dr. Hinton and he writes England and America had plighted hands at the missionary altar by their respective representatives Mr. Rao and Mrs. White. Wow. And so they they really viewed this as a coming together of the organizations which was really funny. Um, But there's the complication of who's going to pay for her and so she actually does end up 
kind of moving to work with the British Baptists. Okay. Um, she's not no longer working for the American Baptist, which ends up being unfortunate for her because uh, Joshua Rao passes away. Mm-hmm. And so then she's again kind of left to figure out right. what am I going to do. Um, she has she has an incredible incredible life. There's a lot more we could go into. Uh, I'm not going to at this sure. point. Uh, I try to keep these short. But you 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 talk about a life that um, is is adventure mm-hmm. and overcoming obstacles. And I mean, she has to deal with scandals um, when she's overseas. She has to deal with the loss of a lot of very dear people mm-hmm. to her. Um, after the the time when when Joshua dies. Uh, she's actually got, I think, five children mm. at that point, um, three of which were Joshua's from a previous marriage okay. and then two that they'd had, um, if I remember correctly. And that changes her situation considerably at this Seriously. point. And uh, so she's having to figure out how to how to move forward. Um, again, we don't have time to go into all the stories, but I love her story because she's a woman who recognized God's call. Mm-hmm. And she said, there's not been a way made, but I'm going to make a way. Yeah. And what a does. pioneer. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in a whole lot of ways, right? Pioneering, uh, uh, going to the mission field, pioneering ways to uh, overcome obstacles, uh, pioneering a way to overcome the division in countries after the Revolutionary War. I mean, all kind of things are taking place here, right? Yep. She's an amazing woman. Wow. What a great story. Thanks for sharing that, Anna. Hey, so this semester we've been focusing on mobilization. Keelan, you know our real goal here is to launch back missions after COVID and we spend a little bit of time talking about short-term missions and today we've got a different take on mobilization and thinking about uh, missions in general. Yeah, that's right, Scott. So as we have dug into this idea of mobilization for the semester, uh, a couple of weeks back, we talked about the short-term trips, right? How do we kick those off? But the other side of the coin, after we've sent some long-term missionaries overseas, what do we do at that point? And the way that we, say, hold the rope for those people, I think creates some opportunities for more mobilization as well. And today we're going to dig into that idea, and I'm excited about what we're going to be doing today, Scott. Yeah, we've got one of my great friends in the whole world uh, in the studio today, John Bartuska. John, welcome to The Scent Life. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So John wears two really important hats for us, Keelan. Okay. First of all, uh, John is uh, was well, an elder at my church, but also uh, John is the parent of one of our missionaries that uh, went out from the church, but also was a student here at Southeastern. That's right. So uh, John is a uh, mission parent, and uh, this is a, a significant you know, commitment to the Lord when you're willing That's to right. say, hey... Our kids, but not just our kids, John. You've also got a couple grandkids overseas, too, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that part's hard. That's the hard part, for yes. sure. So the other thing, though, is John has, um, is, 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 like I said, he's an elder at the Summit Church, and uh, part of a connection, um, and we'll let him tell the story in just a second, but John's also started a ministry at the Summit Church that's specifically geared toward ministering member care for uh, for missionaries who are on the field. So, John, welcome. And tell, can you just give us a real quick uh, talk about your SENT ministry and uh, the initiative that you've got there at the summit, how you how you came to the idea, and a little bit about it. We just want to have a conversation today about, about the ministry and the calling that God's given you and Ann. Sure. I appreciate you asking that. It is really uh, quite a passionate endeavor 
for us. Uh, a few years ago, it started stirring in my heart, I think somewhat because our son is overseas mm -hmm. uh, and we have seen the acute need of uh, workers when they go out to the field right. and in preparing them well and especially also taking care of them when they come back. Right. And so this ministry, the Summit Encourager Network Team Ministry, um, is is designed so that we have touch points at all of those uh, spots mm -hmm. so that we care for people and prepare, prepare them when they're moving out to the field. We take care of them as well as we can with trips and other activity when they're in the field. And then when they return, either temporarily or permanently, we also have a lot of processes in place to be able to provide care and reassimilation for that group. Yeah, so so you guys, like I said, several years ago really started this, uh, this group, the Encourager Network that we f frequently refer to as SENT. Um, you, you started this really with a desire to to let's pay attention to what's going on. But how, how, uh, how does it work? How does it function through, uh, through the church? So we simply work alongside or as a supplement to the sending staff okay. at Summit. There's a smaller group of uh, staff members who work on this type of member care and short-term trips and those that other activity. And so we come alongside them and say, all right, what are the needs? What are the priorities? If you had more hands and feet, uh, what could you do? Yeah. And so uh, it's an iterative process where we try to keep in front of us the highest priority needs. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is on the front end, but more often it's for uh, summit workers who are already in the field. There's needs, there's distresses, there's pressures, there's struggles and challenges, needless to say, and uh, we try to then aim at those. Yeah. So you guys are volunteers? We are, yeah. yes. So not on the summit staff, we have a, a mission sending team. So you have volunteers. Now, how many, um, is it just you and Ann as a part of this team, or what's happened? I mean, it's kind of an amazing story of how God has blessed and grown this ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's really exciting, and we are quite overwhelmed and, and uh, just in awe of what God has done with this idea. Just over a year ago, uh, Pastor J.D. commissioned us mm -hmm. officially as a ministry, and we went rapidly from just a handful of us to now, I think there's just over 115 wow. lay members who are ready and willing for the long haul as a marathon race, not a sprint, mm -hmm. to be available and called on when we need them. All right, let me hop in here right quick, John, because I want to stop and pause for just a moment. You've said a lot of really neat things, and I want to make sure we pull all that together as we're talking about this. So you said that the way this Encourage Your Network works for the church you consider basically the whole life cycle of a missionary. We're talking about how we identify and prepare people on the front end before they go. We're talking about how we take care of those that have been sent while they're there. And then we're talking about what we do with them when they come home. And so it's a holistic look at how we as a church take care of those that we have sent. I think that's a really important point that you've made in the way you've got this structured. And the other thing that I think is fascinating about this, this is not staff, it's volunteers. And so what you've done is you've created a movement with inside the local church where regular old lay folk are in a position where they can say, hey, how do we serve those that we have sent as a church? And it spreads out into a volunteer base 
the ability to care for those that have been sent. I think that is a phenomenal opportunity um, that you've created. Now, talk to me a bit about the kinds of things these volunteers might do. Yeah, so when we first get an expression of interest by someone, uh, they contact us through our email address, and then typically my wife, uh, Anne, will arrange a time to talk with those people, that person or, or that couple, that family, whatever it might be. So she will do that um, and find out where their specific interest lies. Uh, we send out, we have a little fact sheet. This is the type of activities we get involved in. For example, we have a subset of the whole group that is uh, designed for prayer ministry regularly, constantly going through the missionary names mm. uh, as often as we can. We have a uh, writing personal notes type ministry as well where they provide uh, these uh, handwritten notes where we're going to send a team or email notes to workers when we're not going to be visiting right away. And so we cycle through all of them. We have certainly a need to uh, keep the ministry funded, uh, right? Sure. So I know we didn't touch on that, but this is a uh, so, sort of a self-perpetuating, self-funded, not through summit uh, effort, and uh, people have generously donated for all of this work. And so we have people who will donate houses. We have people who will donate uh, vacation houses wow. and vehicles and furnishings and other things like that so that they are uh, ready to be called on when needed. That's exceptional. So all kinds of different ways for people yes. to get involved from writing a simple letter to saying, hey, I've got a vacation home that might be a great place for a missionary to land while they're on stateside or something. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. So, John, talk to me about I mean, this. Is, it, uh, why is it that you think and you've observed the interest is so high, you kind of caught the vision among so many uh, people from different walks of life. What is it that kind of has captured their imagination? Yes, uh, really great question to be able to expand on. Um, I think to a person, mm -hmm. uh, we have seen that this ministry idea, this engagement, uh, scratches an itch that people have. Uh, Summit is a sending church right. by all definitions. Right. We send out constantly. We end every service with you are sent. Right. We really take that seriously, and so we send people all over the place. But there's many who can't go or are not called to go mm. right now or, or even to get involved at a, uh, at a level that would be um, quite so uh, intense. Right. But they do have a heart for yeah. caring for people yeah. and caring for the cause, mm. for, the, for the work that has to be done. And so, uh, again, to a person, they have said, we didn't know how to express the hunger and mm. thirst we had, but this does it. Wow. So now you can put some tangible uh, meat on that desire that we have to be able to get involved and, and do something. That's great. And it, it kind of bridges into a, a, a different type of question, which is this d real notion that uh, you're working with lay people, not staff. Some people may say, well, this sounds like a job for the church staff, or your church has a big staff, or you know, the staff is. But what is it about this you think that's capturing lay people's attention, and why is it that lay people as opposed to staff uh, should be involved in something like this? 
Yeah, I think it simply uh, syncs up with uh, the call that we are all uh, equipped and sent to do something in the kingdom. And it uh, allows us to put some real uh, tangible work to that. Uh, everybody is called right. to this to, to something in this type of work. Right. Uh, and so I think that uh, this has been seen as a way to live out this gospel message that we hold so dear, that we believe so strongly, mm -hmm. and, and we can put it into practice by doing this work. Yeah. So I ask you this too. So some, some may listen to uh, the Scent Life pastors or church leaders, missionaries of different sized churches. Obviously, the Summit Church is a really big church. Uh, is this type of ministry only something that a really big church can do? Glad you asked that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, the, the origins of this ministry were a stirring in my heart to be able to help care for workers better. Hmm. It was initially unrolled as something Ann and I would do together. Just two people. We, yes, we yeah. would maybe take a trip here and there. We tried to say we could maybe travel three or four times a year. We could do some extra work. We got involved in the international church planning cohort, mm -hmm. so we helped on the front end. Um, we did things like that. Every church of every size can do that. That's a great point. I think there's so many positive benefits that come from doing that. Uh, I mean, there's a whole whole list of them. I mean, you've got the ability for more people in a congregation to know, maybe even on a more personal level, the people that they have sent. Uh, you've also got the the opportunity for them to see, uh, so to speak, how the sausage is made on what it looks like to prepare and equip people to be missionaries, for them to know what's going on in the lives of their missionaries overseas so they get a much more realistic picture of what it means to be a, a missionary and then have an opportunity to see on the return side what it's like for those people to re-enter. Uh, mm. So there's a lot of benefit there. Uh, have you, so here's just a random question for you concerning that side of the thing. Do you see, as people get involved in this, a awakening or a stirring inside of them uh, toward missions as well? So people come in and say, I want to serve missionaries and then maybe start wrestling with whether or not they should also be a missionary themselves? No doubt. No doubt. It, it uh, substantially raises the bar of awareness and engagement at the church at large. And so there is no, you know, we, we can have no real idea of, of the magnitude of that except over time, that people's hearts are engaged, people see the needs, people see, hey, I could do that, why don't I? Um, and so I think it has elevated the uh, level of understanding and awareness that we wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah, that's a tremendous blessing, I think, to a local church that's really wanting to be a sending church. Uh, so for those of you who are listening, right, we talked a while back about the benefit of getting people in your church, in your pews, engaged in a short-term mission trip. Well, another way to engage them regularly in the missionary task is having them serve those that you have sent. And so the the additional opportunities to, to be able to mobilize through something like the, this, I think, are really significant. You're not only taking care of those that you've sent, you're also creating opportunities for mobilization by doing a thing like this. And so it winds up being a virtuous circle in that way. Yeah. John, so that's so some clarification. So a couple of weeks ago, Keelan and I, we had this conversation about short-term mission trips. I know that your sent ministry team takes trips as well. 
you've been on both short-term mission trips. You've been on vacation trips to visit your family. You've taken then these sent uh, ministry trips to different areas. Can you help just flesh out the difference between the type of trip and the experience that your sent ministry teams are involved in, which is maybe different from just a, a typical mission trip? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, at the risk of of stepping on one versus the other, sure. or, or you know, I certainly wouldn't hold one out versus Correct. you know o- over the other. Mm-hmm. However. Short-term trips are intended typically to go and come alongside the workers and do the work or, or help them with the work they're doing, accomplish something. Sometimes it's building, but sometimes it's just uh, reaching out into the community on the streets, um, uh, something to that effect, praying with them, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, a sent care trip is designed, one, it's a very small team. It's it's. Uh, maybe two or three people. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, it is designed to really selflessly focus on the worker themselves. Mm. Uh, there's no agenda. There's no uh, expectation that they will prepare or do anything for us or or with us even. Just simply to sit, to share, to spend time, to care about how they're doing and and to take a good gauge of their health and to provide guidance and advice. And I'd say more than anything else, it is to get them to articulate the reason why they came in the first place. Wow. And they get to say that out loud and hear themselves reminded. Wow. Yeah. So you've got you got 115 volunteers with that many people. Do you get bored? I mean, what do you do with that many people? That is a... A challenging task. Yeah. Uh, we knew that would be the case. We stay in touch with them regularly. Mm-hmm. We have at least quarterly Zoom calls okay. or something like that. We send out uh, email blasts. We we have regular needs, so mm-hmm. we send out requests right. for needs, uh, like, uh, hey, let's send some needed items to a worker in South America or or Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And so we gather interest that way and we remind them that we're here. We're actually having the first, hopefully of many, Mm -hmm. SENT conferences uh, for the SENT membership. Mm -hmm. Um, It's for others who might be interested, but, but for the members particularly to get us in one place in person, provide a little bit of training, uh, but primarily simply to get us uh, talking and, and sharing together and uh, getting that murmur, that excitement, that energy level that rises mm-hmm. when like-minded people are in the room. Yeah. So you guys have been doing this a couple of years. What do you, what do you anticipate for the future? I mean, what, what's ahead for, uh, for the SENT ministry? Yeah, I think we have designs. One, we, we still have to learn far more than we have learned already. Mm-hmm. And so we can, uh, I think we do some things pretty well, but we have a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, as long as we keep sending people, and we are, uh, I think that we will uh, continue to try to improve the areas we're involved. One really important area that we're working on very uh, intently now is this reassimilation mm. of families that come back off the right. field uh, and trying to to help them get readjusted better. Yeah, and that's been a real challenge recently with COVID and with issues around yes. the world, right? 
yes, very much so. Uh, so I, I think I see uh, that type of work being done better. I think I see us sort of dividing and conquering somewhat uh, into smaller uh, groups, mm -hmm. subsets of the scent ministry so okay. that we focus on a specific group of workers to gain some more intimate knowledge, more mm -hmm. build relationships a right. little better so that we can break it up into manageable sizes rather than one big, uh, big uh, scope. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so this is fantastic. I'm so thankful for you to being here with us to discuss this. Uh, so I assume that as people are listening to this, we're going to have some pastors. We're going to have some folk that are involved in their church that just love missions that said, you know, we could do something like that. Uh, is there a chance that you'd be willing for people to reach out with questions uh, if they wanted to do something like this at their church as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, simple way to get a hold of us, uh, sentnetwork at summitchurch.com. Let me, let me do a couple questions and then we'll go and land the plane. So, John, first, what would somebody need to do if they wanted to join the Scent Network as it currently exists? And the second question kind of added to that is, what advice would you give to pastors uh, or maybe even missionaries who were sent from other churches who could reach back out to their churches. But uh, so what advice would you give to them about some first steps or, 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 or next steps related to uh, member care from the local church? So how could somebody reach out to you and be involved in what you're doing? And then what, what advice would you give to those who may want to start something like this in their church? Sure. One, same email address, okay. sentnetwork at summitchurch.com. Send us a note. We will get back to you with information and then connect uh, based on your interest. Uh, so we're happy to do that, uh, welcome that uh, at any time. On that larger question, I think, as is often the case, start somewhere, mm. do something. Uh, be intentional and say, this is going to be a priority and put some type of attention to it. Uh, you start somewhere. We know that we drop the ball still sometimes mm -hmm. and we have gaps in the work that we're trying to do. Uh, but we're doing more than we were, and we're okay with that. Uh, we don't want to be rested and, and, and stop trying to improve, but we, we're comfortable that the work is important, and so any we do is valuable. Yeah. And so I think that if they simply start somewhere uh, and intentionally point to this as a need and a priority, uh, that will be a big first step. Well, thank you so much, John, for your time. It has been a real blessing having you here with us. Uh, one of the things we would love to see uh, here at The Scent Life is a whole wave of churches that take seriously the task of taking care of those that they have sent out of their church. Uh, we want churches to send more missionaries. We also want churches to care well for those that they have sent into the field. Uh, and this is an excellent way for a church to consider doing that. And so we thank you so much for sharing uh, with us. Uh, thank you all to our listeners as well for joining us today. We hope that this was a benefit and a blessing for you. Uh, do um, find us on social. Do reach out to us if you have questions. We're, we're always just a click away as far as that's concerned. We'd love it if you'd subscribe wherever podcasts are found to The Scent Life. And we hope to see you, or well, I guess hear from you soon. <laughs>
Hey, welcome back. And uh, once again, we have Dr. George Robinson in our studio to take us out of the tower onto the streets and give us some handle on how that we live a life on mission wherever God's placed us. George, thanks for being with us. Yeah, glad to be here, man. What, what do you got for us this week out of your bag of tricks? <laughs> bag of tricks. So um, there's nothing new under the sun, brother. It all comes from the scripture, I think. And uh, at least I hope what I'm saying comes from the scripture. It's all great. Yeah. So the the core missionary task is what we've been talking about and framing up this uh, for this entire season. God's uh, strategy for us to enter into new places, to to share both our story and his story, uh, to make disciples that reproduce, to gather those disciples together, to develop leaders, and then uh, to spread that whole strategy elsewhere through partnership and exit. And so this week, we're going to continue on with evangelism strategies. Last time, uh, we talked through sharing uh, your, uh, the last two times we talked through sharing your story and sharing God's story. Uh, This time, I want to talk through how to use four universal worldview questions to set up an opportunity to share the gospel. Great. Let's hear them. And so uh, the last time we were together, I talked through the true story of the whole world, right? right? Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. Well, the interesting thing is those stories within Scripture are really um, accessible through these worldview questions. Hmm. And so the first worldview question is, where do we come from? Okay. And that's a, a big question to ask people, uh, but oftentimes what it does when you ask a worldview question is it allows a person to bring to the surface assumptions that you may not be aware of mm. just by the way that they're living. And so just like you've got glasses on right now, I've got my contact lenses on right now, we put those things on in the morning. I, I tell my students that when I put my contact lenses on, I never think about them again the right. rest of the day until it's time to go to bed. Um, it just shapes, the in, it influences the way that I see everything in life. And so that's, that's right. what a worldview is. And by asking the question, where do we come from, it allows you to see what that mm. person believes with regards to the world. If the world is random and chance mm. and and just evolutionary theory, then uh, those assumptions are going to shape everything else they believe about life Good point. Um, and whether or not there's a purpose and a point to life or not. And so asking uh, where do we come from gives you then the opportunity to tell the story of creation, mm. God, creation, harmony. The second worldview question is what went wrong with the world? Mm. When I was telling the story last week, it end, the first part of the story, the story of creation, ends with harmony. Right. Which begs the question, okay, if God created everything to be in perfect harmony, then what went wrong with the world? There's your worldview question. And there are a lot of different responses to that. Various worldviews are going to say different things. And so, um, you know, if, if, uh, if you're a secular humanist and you think what went wrong with the world, well, the answer is um, there, there's not enough knowledge. Yeah. And that knowledge is going to be the answer. So we have to educate, educate. people. Um, towards their, quote, salvation. And so asking the question, what went wrong in the world, gives you the opportunity to tell the story of the fall, disobedience, consequence, and need. The third worldview question is, if if we're in this place of desperate need, then is there any hope? Hmm. Uh, That's the third question. So that raises the assumption to the surface of the person you're speaking with and tells you what it is that they long for. What are their desires aimed at? Um, and for us, the true story of the whole world is the rescue, right. that our desire is on Christ, that he is God's promise kept. And then, again, if God keeps his promises, then what does the future hold? Mm-hmm. That's the fourth worldview question. 
what does the future hold? And for believers, for people who are in right relationship to God, all things new and forever with God. So four worldview questions. They're on ramps into a gospel conversation. I actually have students go out and blame me. I tell Hmm. them, you know, just go say, I've got an assignment for school and I'm trying to understand people who think differently than me. So can I ask you four questions and you can just answer them from the hip? And uh, they use, where do we come from? What went wrong? Is there any hope? And what does the future hold? That's great. Why don't we just let everybody who's listening blame us, blame the podcast, yep. go ask somebody those four questions this next week. Just say, hey, I was listening to this podcast, and uh, they said I could ask you four questions and could you know, uh, learn a whole lot about people I don't know. Blame the podcast. Go ask two or three people those four questions and uh, let us know how it goes. Yeah. So thanks a ton for being here, George. Appreciate Glad it. Glad to be here.